squeaking living a money pit. Money pit. If your basement needs a pump, or your place looks like a dump, you're living a money pit. Money pit. Pick up the telephone, fix up your home sweet home. I call an eight 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 money pit. The Money Pit is presented by the Eden Pure Thunderstorm and Omaha Steaks. Now here are Tom and Leslie. Coast to coast and floorboards to shingles, this is the Money Pit Home Improvement Show. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. And we are here to help you take on the projects you want to get done around your house. Today, tomorrow, in the seasons ahead, if you want to improve your Money Pit, turn it from house to home to your own personal castle, well, we can help. You can help yourself first, though, by reaching out to us with your questions at one eight 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 Money Pit because that is what we do. We've been doing this now for twenty years, and we love it. We love helping you achieve your home improvement and remodeling dreams. So reach out to us with your questions. You can also post them at MoneyPit.com. Coming up on today's show, you know, social media is, of course, known for helping us spot trends, and now a new study has revealed the most popular house plants. On TikTok, we're going to share (laughs) the top five plants according to TikTok users. All right. I'm sure my son, Henry, is chiming in. He loves that TikTok. (laughs) All right, guys. Also ahead, is your kitchen backsplash falling behind the times? Well, coming up this hour, we're going to share some backsplash designs and materials that are up and coming, affordable, and fun. And termite problems are easily spotted over the spring and summer. But how would you know if you had a termite problem during the cold months? Well, I'm going to teach you, based on my 20 years' experience of looking for those buggers as a home inspector, what to look for in the winter and when those destructive bugs are harder to spot. But first, we can help you save some money, save time, and avoid home improvement hassles that can slow you down on the road to your dream house. So reach out with your questions right now. The number is 1-888-MONEY-PIT, 888-666-3974. So let's get started, Leslie. Who's first? Kathy in Indiana's on the line and is dealing with a bald spot on her roof when it's snowy out. And we've been getting a lot of snow this winter, so your house must look like it's in need of a toupee. What's going on, Kathy? <laughs> Hi. Yes, we we just moved down here from Wisconsin down to Indiana. We bought this house, and um, we've been doing a lot of work on it. And when we got our first snow, I noticed on the back part there is a like a foot-and-a-half-inch diameter bald spot every time we got a snowfall. And we had a friend contractor come down. He went up in the attic, and he's like, there's nothing going on here. So the only thing we thought, well, maybe is going on is we have a heat pump, and we also have our dryer vent in that same area back there. And so now I had two different suggestions. He said to put a soffit venting on that whole area to get more air going up through there, and possibly maybe it's coming from the heat pump. But um, then I went to... um, a Home Depot, and I was talking to the guy there that seemed to know quite a bit, and he said that what he would do is take it and, and remove all the vented area, vented soffit in that area. And so if there is heat coming up, he said, but this shouldn't happen. And so this is, you know, this is what people do. They put their heat pumps outside, and, and he's never heard of anything like this before. So we ended up doing that, and so we don't know yet if, if that actually helped it or not but yeah it's not not hurting the roof not having snow on that one spot if you want to know why it's happening it's because that spot is warmer than the other spots around it now why is it warmer well you mentioned there's a dryer exhaust duct there near there if the dryer exhaust duct is not completely sealed if it's dumping warm air in there that's going to heat up that spot over the roof and then any snow that hits there is going to melt and roll down 
if the insulation has some gap in it of some sort in there where more room air can get up and heat that area right above it, that could cause it as well. But I would not tell you to start messing with your venting and everything else just because you've got a foot and a half spot that doesn't, or snow doesn't stick. You know, it's curious, but it's not a major problem, and I, I wouldn't recommend major work for it. Okay, so it, we don't have to be concerned that there's heat getting up there and it's going to cause mold and issues going on? Well, I mean, I would, I would try, I would determine if there's an obvious source of warmth that's getting into that spot. But, you know, actually adding heat to that area is not necessarily going to cause mold. You get more mold in the, in the less heated spaces, frankly, because when you warm moist, when you warm air, it, uh, it, uh, you know, uses more moisture, essentially. That's why the warm air holds more moisture. So that, that's not really a concern. It's just kind of a curious thing. And, you know, if you've got a dryer vent that's right near there, I'd start with that because that would make perfect sense. If the dryer vent is, is losing some of its air right in that space. Um, that's not a good idea either because you don't want to be dumping any lint into the attic. That could be dangerous, okay? Okay, well, very good. Thank you. Did you know that Americans take 20,000 breaths a day and spend an average of 90% of their time indoors? That's right. And according to the EPA, the level of indoor air pollutants can be two to five times higher than outdoor air and occasionally more than 100 times higher. Plus, every spring we get sucked with allergens too. Well, Air Doctor is an air purifier that filters out dangerous contaminants like pollen, pet dander, dust mites, and mold. Their Ultra HEPA filter has been independently tested to remove 99.99% of tested allergens, including bacteria and viruses. That's impressive. Now, Air Doctor also comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund minus the shipping. And they're offering a special discount to Money Pit listeners. Just head to airdoctorpro.com and use promo code MONEYPIT, and you'll receive up to $300 off air purifiers. Exclusive to podcast customers, you'll also receive a free three-year warranty on any unit, which is an additional $84 value. Lock this special offer in right now by going to airdoctorpro.com and use promo code MONEYPIT. That's airdoctorpro.com, promo code MONEYPIT. Tom in North Carolina, you've got the money pit. How can we help you today? We have a house that's about, um, it was built in 2007. Um, it's about 2,700 square feet. And we have um, two air conditioner heat pump, you know, electric air conditioning heat, heat pump units in it. And um, we've we've just been having, you know, a headache after a headache. We're trying to cool the house and heat the house with some um you know, we have we have a vaulted like a kind of a vaulted ceiling, which looked great when we bought the house, and the registers are on the floor. But we're constantly, you know, the air conditioning and the heat units are just running and running and running and running and running, and never really cooling down the house or heating down the house. The insulation is excellent in the house. You know, I'm trying to figure out any alternatives. We have we do have a gas fireplace, which basically is, really doesn't heat the house much. First of all, you're saying that it doesn't work in the cooling mode or the heating mode. Is that correct? No, the cooling mode it does it does work, but you know it, it cools the house down. But it seems like the units run a lot. You know, not and actually to be quite honest with you, we did we put some tent and stuff on some of the windows where they're getting direct sunlight. But the heating side of it is just terrible. My kids are freezing on the second floor. Um, we have a bonus room over the garage, which is pretty much insulated. We keep that door closed. It stays cool in there. And it just runs cold all the time. And when I bring guys, you know, people out to look at it, they say the units run fine, 
but, you know, uh, you might want to put ductwork here, ductwork there, ductwork here. Well, I mean, there may be some truth to that. First of all, the fact of the matter is that you need to understand that heating heat pump systems work different than fossil-fueled systems. A fossil-fueled system is going to warm air up and it'll come out of the register at like, you know, 125, 135 degrees. A heat pump works different. A heat pump is going to throw air out at maybe 90 degrees. And so very often with a heat pump, you you hear complaints of that, well, it blows cold air. Well, it doesn't really blow cold air, but the fact is that if you have a little moisture on your skin, you put your hand in front of it, that moisture evaporates and that makes it feel very chilly. And that's one of the reasons it's uncomfortable. Then, of course, if it can't keep up with demand, then it switches to its backup system, which is electric resistance heat. And, of course, that's really expensive to run. The heat pump thermostat is designed to maintain a two-degree temperature differential between what it is in the house and what you set it at. So if you set it at um, 72 degrees and it falls to 70 in the house, the heat pump will come on. If it falls to 69 or 68, the electric resistance heat will come on. Now the the air coming out of the ducts is going to be much warmer, but you just more than doubled your expense. Now, if the system is not doing its job, there's a couple of things I would look at before I thought about replacing it, one of which is the duct design. Because if you're not getting, if the, if you're not getting enough return air back to those units, then that could definitely be... Uh, a contributing factor. You said that you've addressed the insulation part of it. Um, in terms of your thermostat, are you on a clock setback thermostat? Yeah, and we have it. We have it. I mean, it's at 66 degrees in the wintertime. So we have 66 and 67. We don't ever. Maybe your kids are cold just because you haven't turned the thermostat up. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, we're from up north, so we can deal with that. But what, what happens is when it starts running and running and running and running and running. It just like that's all I keep hearing. You know, like every two seconds, quick, 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 quick. But um, you know, I, you know, we have the option of of propane, and you know, being from up north, I lived with wood burning stoves, and you know, I grew up in Vermont, and you know, we had oil heat and electric backup for emergencies and stuff like that. But you know, I'm just wondering if there's anything on the propane side that might be more efficient. Well, cert- certainly if you went to any kind of a fossil fueled system, it's going to put out warmer air, but I would want to make sure that the duct system was properly designed and installed before I do before I do that. Because if you change out your furnace and it turns out that the duct system isn't isn't installed properly or designed properly, you know, if I was going to make a change, I would not want to just kind of get a seat of the pants opinion by an HVAC technician. I would want somebody who designs these systems for a living giving you a, a, you know, a good reasoned explanation as to what's wrong with the system and why it needs to be fixed. I want you to guard against you know the handy guy that comes out that maybe just most of the furnace service going, well, you could throw a duct in here, throw a duct in there. That's not what you want. I mean, there's a science behind this. It's not, it, it's, it's not a guess. You can figure out how many BTUs you need to heat a house, how many BTUs you need to cool a house. It's called a heat loss analysis or heat loss calculation. And somebody that does this professionally can handle that. So I would take a look at the duct system first, see if it really is designed correctly, because frankly, many times it's not. And then based on that, decide if you want to change uh, to a different type of heating system or perhaps even add supplemental heat on your own. For example, you might decide that in that bonus room where it's cold all the time, that maybe some electric baseboard radiators in there would be a very inexpensive way to pick up just a little bit of heat, extra heat when you need it, assuming it doesn't need to be on all the time. You know, it could be a low installation cost, certainly a lot less than replacing your furnace, and you could just have it when you want it. But take a look at the duct design first. Nine out of ten times, 
that's the source of this kind of issue as you've described it. Thanks, guys. You're welcome, Tom. Good luck with that project. Heading over to Alabama now, where Mary is trying to remove some old caulk from a bathroom fixture. What's going on? Hi. I recently was trying to remove the caulk from around my bathtub Okay. and cannot get it removed. I purchased one of the tools at um, Home Improvement Store, and it is so hard that it won't remove. And I'm worried about scratching the bathtub and the edge if I get a like a razor blade. Have you ever used a paint remover to move, remove layers of paint? Yes. Okay, well, just like a paint remover will strip paint, there's a product called a caulk softener. And the caulk softener gets applied to the caulk, and it sort of reliquifies it, softens it up, and makes it a lot easier for you to scrape it out. So you want to apply the caulk softener first. Once it works and softens the caulk, clean it really, really well. The next thing you want to do is take a bleach and a water solution and wipe that seam down really well because you want to kill any bacteria that's in there. You want to make sure there's no mold spores that are left behind. And the next thing that you want to do is fill the tub with water. We always caulk tubs when they're full of water, and here's why. Because when the caulk dries, the the tub sort of comes back up. When you fill the tub with water, it sinks down. When you put the caulk in, uh, let the caulk dry, then let the water out, the tub comes back up and compresses the caulk, and it's not likely to fall out again or pull apart again at the seam. Okay, So those are the steps you want to follow. Start with the caulk softener, wipe it down with bleach and water, fill the tub with water, caulk it. When the caulk dries, let the tub water out, and you're good to go. Okay. Can you recommend a good caulk to replace it with? Um, I would take a look at the DAP products that include microban. Microban is an additive that stops any mold from growing inside the caulk. Okay. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. You're welcome, Mary. Thanks so much for calling us at 888-MONEYPIT. Well, social media is known for helping us spot trends, and now a new study has revealed the most popular houseplants. Research by the gardening experts allaboutgardening.com analyzed TikTok data to establish which houseplants are getting the most attention. Now, the study found that aloe vera was the most popular houseplant with over 2.3 billion views under the aloe vera hashtag on TikTok. And aloe vera is known to be relatively easy to maintain. It does well in sunlight and some warmer temps. You can also uh, cut a leaf in half, right, and just rub it on your skin if you got a burn. Yeah, if you got a burn, or it's like a nice yeah. healing ointment, moisturizer. Just don't confuse it with poison ivy. That wouldn't end up nearly as well. Oh, that'd be terrible. <laughs> the second most aesthetically pleasing house plant is the pothos plant, more commonly known as devil's ivy. It amassed actually 312 million views on TikTok. And third place goes to the Swiss cheese plant with 242 million. Now, people like that Swiss cheese plant because it's really easy to take care of and it rarely gets any diseases. And it definitely then falls, as far as I'm concerned, into that hard-to-kill category, which is a qualifier for houseplants around my house. Yeah, I was going to say that's also known as the plants for Leslie category. (laughs) (laughs) I definitely need plants that are hard to kill. Now, the snake plant, that one's known for absorbing toxins is the fourth most popular houseplant with 161.9 million views and rounding out the top five is the fiddle leaf fig with 94 million this is a super beautiful plant with really large leaves it loves the sunlight i think these plants are beautiful and i bet you last year it probably was number one because i felt like that was the trendiest house plant everybody talked about last year I think it's kind of hard to call it a houseplant, though, because it apparently can grow to 10 feet tall. That's a big houseplant. (laughs) Yeah, a house tree. Everyone should know that drinking water is important to staying hydrated and healthy. 
Having safe, clean water is the last thing you want to worry about, but unfortunately, according to extensive research by the Environmental Working Group, three out of four homes in America have harmful contaminants right in its tap water. That's why we are thrilled to be working with AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers use a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process, and their countertop purifiers work with no installation or plumbing. It removes 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters and is specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAs in your water supply. And they have water purifiers to fit every type of home, from installation-free countertop purifiers to higher-capacity under-sink options. They even have a Wi-Fi-connected purifier and mineral boost options. And its proprietary purification technology is independently tested by IATMO to NSF and ANSI standards to remove over 80 of the most harmful contaminants, including chlorine, fluoride, arsenic, PFAs known as forever chemicals, nitrate, and many more. I can truly taste the difference when I compare it with my old water filter. AquaTrue saves you money also. Just one set of filters from their classic purifier makes the equivalent of 4,500 bottles of water. That's less than three cents a bottle. Plus, you'll save the environment from tons of plastic waste. AquaTrue comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee and even makes a great gift. And today, Money Pit listeners can receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier. Just go to aquatrue.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter code MONEYPIT at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue water purifier when you go to aquatrue.com and use promo code M-O-N-E-Y-P-I-T. MONEYPIT. We've got Lawrence on the line who's looking to add solar panels to the roof and has a question about his existing roof. Tell us what's going on. I'm looking into and possibly going to have solar panels installed on my roof, but the roof is over 10 years old, and they're talking about replacing the roof, and I just wanted to maybe talk to you about it and maybe get some advice. Well, first of all, I presume the reason you're talking about a new roof is because you don't want to put solar panels over an old roof because you would have to remove the solar panels to replace the roofs you know, sooner than you expect, and that does make sense. Aside from that, though, I would just look very carefully as to whether or not you're going to get a return on investment by installing solar panels, especially because now you're giving up another 10 years potentially of roof life just to get those solar panels. What I find, unfortunately, with the solar industry today is there's a lot of fancy back-of-the-napkin math, if you know what I mean, that goes on when they try to show you what the savings is going to be. You really need to figure out how long those panels are going to last and whether or not you're going to be, it's going to be worth the investment either in paying for the project or outright, or sometimes you can lease them too, but in the case of leasing, you don't own the panels, and you end up, if you want to sell your house, having to try to get the next buyer to, to, uh, to, to kick in and agree to pay for that lease as well, or you got to buy them out of the lease. So there's a lot to consider when it comes to uh, adding solar panels to a house, and you're just dealing with another aspect of this, and this is whether or not you should replace your roof at the same time. But think about it. If that roof is not ready to be replaced, you're giving up 10 years of life just to get the solar panels. So it certainly impacts any cost savings that you think you might experience. Lori, you've got the money pit. How can we help you today? We have a Chamberlain one-quarter horsepower garage door opener, and it has no remotes. We bought the house as is, so we have no remotes for it. Also, it has a keypad on the outside, which I'm unable to use. So my question was, if I go to Home Depot or Lowe's, would a universal remote work, or do I have to call a garage door company out to sell us a Chamberlain remote and program it? 
why don't you do this? Why don't you get the model number of the Chamberlain garage door opener, which is probably printed on the back of the unit, go to the uh-huh. Chamberlain website and get the owner's manual for the door opener. With that owner's manual, you should be able to program the keypad. It'll tell you the right sequence to do that. And also, you most likely can find out from Chamberlain exactly which remote is designed to work with that unit. Now, Chamberlain's a very good company, and in fact, they have a new technology that's called MyQ. And the cool thing about the MyQ technology is you can actually uh, put this MyQ unit in your garage, and then you'll be able to open and close your garage door with your smartphone. So they're way ahead of the game on this stuff. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you, too. Is this one too old to do that? Um, I think it actually works on every garage door opener that was built after 1996, so it may not be. It might be fine. can't remember if it's 96 or 94. Yeah, it, it goes back over 10 years. Good. Okay, this, is, this one's about six years old. I think that's how I would proceed. I would not just go buy something and hope it works. I would do the research, and you'll figure it out. Okay, Lori? Okay, I'll go on the webpage. Thank you for the advice. You're welcome. Thanks so much for calling us at 888-MONEYPIT. Now we've got Trenton Florida on the line who's dealing with a fallen apart popcorn ceiling. How can we help you? Well, uh, my popcorn ceiling is actually in my bathroom. Uh, it's, I guess, one night or something, my son had gotten it wet, and when it dried, it started flaking off the ceiling, mm-hmm. and now it's just continuing to do it. <laughs> well, it's funny, because when you get a popcorn ceiling wet, that's the, actually the way to remove it. You would spray it with, you know, some sort of garden sprayer and then scrape it off. So if you want it gone, he's got you on the <laughs> correct path. Now's the time, right? <laughs> <laughs> But if you don't want it gone, what I would do is this. I would um, take like a, uh, maybe a, a stiff bristle brush and gently brush away, maybe like a dry paintbrush, you know, and, and just brush away all the loose stuff. And then you're going to pick up some uh, popcorn ceiling patching material. There's a number of different manufacturers of this. I know that Zinzer makes one. Homax makes one. It comes both on a trowel on. Uh, finish and also on a spray-on finish. It looks like um, cheese in a can. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It, it looks out. like cheese whiz. And <laughs> yes. you can spray that on and recreate the popcorn effect that way. And then lastly, you're probably going to have to paint that ceiling and paint the entire ceiling to, to blend it in. But you got to get rid of the loose stuff, add the patching material, then repaint the ceiling, and you'll be good to go. Okay. Well, great. Well, thank you very much. Well, kitchen backsplashes are a super popular item for helping keep the kitchen clean, but some unexpected materials and looks also are putting them front and center as a decor choice as well. Yeah, you know, glass backsplashes come in countless colors, shapes, designs. I mean, you can have them look classic. You can have them look trendy. So there's lots of options, and it really creates an endless design. And you can also go with square tiles in expected colors, or you can do a full slab of glass that's been painted on one side. I kind of like that because it's super glossy. It gives it a little bit more of a modern feel. So depending on your space, there's a great way to use glass tile. I would worry a little bit about getting it too, if it was, well, I guess if it's glass tile, it's okay. But if it's like clear glass, have you ever seen that used or sort of a, a, like, a like a stained glass look? Because it seems to me like that would be hard around the heat. The heater is like right behind the stove. Yeah, I have not seen. I mean, it's a very specific type of glass that's used for backsplash. But if you want a stained glass look, there's definitely ways that you can achieve it. There's also several mosaic tile companies that you can reach out to that are more arty. And you can say, hey, I want to create this design. Or you can say, I want something to feel inspired by this type of a painting or something. So you can have something super creative that's meant to be in the type of conditions that you'd see in a kitchen and really have something beautiful and stylized. 
Now, the, on the other end of durability, vinyl wallpaper backsplashes are making a comeback. Vinyl is cheap, it's easy to install, and it's easy to clean. And it comes in lots of colors and patterns and textures. And it's also available as a removable application, which is terrific for people that have apartments and they don't, and they want to redecorate without the risk of losing their security deposit. You can actually install the vinyl wallpaper as your backsplash. And then when you're ready to leave, peel it off and the wall will look just perfectly clean once again. You take it with you or throw it out. <laughs> you know, another way is to use something more natural. Now, I like this idea in areas where it's not going to get wet because if you try to put this behind a sink and something does splash up on it, then it's definitely can be an issue. But you can use like reclaimed lumber from old pallets. I mean, you can really find some interesting things at an architectural salvage spot that has that sort of natural wood plank look. And it could be really fantastic and it can match, you know, a way more rustic-y farm style kitchen. But it can also be a great contrast to something that's more modern and super clean and white and gray. There's a lot of nice ways. And, you know, if you really want to use them in areas where there is a tendency to get wet, you just want to seal them. And you can seal them with epoxy, a clear coat, so that it really does stay well. Or you can do a clear coat with sort of a white paint mixed into it to give it that white washed effect or paint them white and then seal them. Lots of things you can do to give it that more rustic feel. Now, the white and white subway tile has been popular for many years. You can give that look a twist by using colored grout. I just did this in a house we remodeled. I used gray grout on the white surface, and we had a black or a dark charcoal gray kind of countertop, and we had stainless appliances, so it all kind of blended really, really nicely just by using a colored grout instead of white. And because it's gray also, it's going to hide the dirt a heck of a lot better. So lots of options in uh, in backsplashes right now that can really spruce up the look of your entire kitchen. We've got Cindy in Michigan on the line who wants to talk about reducing energy costs. How can we help you? Is there a way to lower your electric bills by generating your own electricity? I've heard of solar panels and windmills, and seems like they cost a lot of money to get them going. And I'm wondering, is it actually feasible? financially to do something like that? Yeah, well, first of all, the most effective way to cut those energy costs, and especially if we're talking about heating and cooling energy, is to improve the energy efficiency of your home. And the single most important way or easiest way to do that is by improving insulation. It's amazing how many people simply don't have enough insulation. In a state like Michigan, you're certainly going to want to have 15 to 20 inches of insulation in your attic. Now, as to your question about generating your own power, There are some programs that are run by state governments and by utility suppliers that include different sorts of rebates uh, and different sorts of of, of purchase, I don't want to say schemes, but sort of plans for getting that equipment to your house. So, for example, uh, in my part of the country, they have uh, offers where you don't actually pay for the initial installation. There, you partner with uh, an energy company that does the installation of solar panels, and then as the as it generates energy, you get to keep some of that, and some of that goes back to the utility company, and eventually it pays off the cost of that installation. So I would investigate solar programs in your area and rebates that might be available. Start with the utility companies and go from there, because if there's a favorable program, that's the only way it makes cost effective. You are correct in that a lot of these things are very expensive and don't make a lot of economic sense. But if there's rebate money available, either uh, locally uh, at the state level or federally, it does make sense. Okay. So you would 
just call your energy company then? I would start there with your utility company or simply do some research online for rebates that are available in your area. Okay, Cindy? All right. Thank you. You're very welcome. Good luck with that project. Well, termites can wreak havoc on your home and can turn buying and selling into a nightmare. Now, the key to avoiding those costly headaches is to identify termites ASAP, which, depending on the season, can be surprisingly hard to do. Yeah, that's right. You know, termite activity naturally slows down when it's cold, but the hungry bugs don't stop. So while an infestation is harder to identify during winter, even for some home inspectors, it is just as important a time to catch it. Yeah, you know, there are a few things that you can look out for in the winter that can help ID these wood munchers. First of all, you want to look for mud tubes on the foundation walls, and they can be inside or out or even on the underside of a floor. Now, these tubes are about a half inch wide, and they're made by termites to keep them in the dark and moist areas when they start working and walking around the house and chewing on everything. I mean, for this, without basements or crawl spaces, you want to look for sunken wood surfaces that seem like mild craters on the surface, or maybe they look like branches right under the surface of the sheetrock walls. I mean, it's amazing how quickly these termites can move. Yeah, and here's a good trick, and that is to use a strong flashlight. So if you take the flashlight and you hold it flat to the wall, so now it's sort of parallel with the wall, casting that beam across the drywall, especially like if you're on a slab, you do it around the foundation perimeter, uh, and so you're getting it all the way down to the floor, the termites will actually eat up through that drywall. They'll eat the paper, which is between the plaster and the paint. And they'll leave the paint, they'll leave that plaster, but they'll eat the paper. So when you cast the light across on an angle like that, you can actually see what looks like sort of the branches of a tree, like vines, just kind of like spreading out through that wall. And that's termites. So I've found a lot of termites over the years just with a flashlight by knowing how to hold it. So it's a good trick for trying to find out what's going on there. You can also inspect floor framing and beams by tapping on them from the underside. If you have a crawl space or basement, I used to go around with a screwdriver. In fact, I had one, Leslie, I had it so long. It was one of these big, like, diesel mechanic screwdrivers that was about 10, 12 inches long, flathead. And I would tap so often with that thing, I would round off the top of the screwdriver by the time I was done with it. I found all sorts of problems with that because uh, if I found an infested beam, it would sound hollow. And sometimes it would actually go right through and break in half. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and it was raining termites right over my head. Ooh. So uh, it was a very effective tool for trying to find out what was going on. But, you know, the sooner you catch them, the sooner you can treat them and the less damage you're going to have. Yeah. And, you know, another thing this time of year, I think with everybody having firewood, don't store it right next to the foundation because that's definitely a spot that those termites would love to hang out in. And be sure that you have yearly inspections performed. Generally, they happen in the spring or summer. But is there a better time, Tom, out of the two? Well, um, certainly I would say the spring is probably a good time because when they get to be super active, but I'd rather have you do it any time of the year, but spring and summer is probably best. And this way, if termites have recently made their way in, you can treat the problem before any serious damage is done. The treatments today, by the way, are far more effective than they used to be. They are uh, undetectable to termites. So the chemicals that they put in around the foundation perimeters, the termites basically go through these chemicals. They take it back to the nest and they eliminate entire nest that way. So very, very effective way to treat for termites. Right. Mark in Maine is on the line with an electrical question. How can we help you today? Uh, yes, I have a, a couple of rooms. Our, our uh, house is from around the 1930s, and um, some of the rooms, the three-way wiring isn't quite right. Like, uh, to turn on the light as you enter the room, um, you turn on one switch. You can't go to the other side of the room where the other switch is and turn the light off. You have to go back to the original switch light off oh and you can use it. <laughs> okay so do you know that it was it was originally designed to be a three-way switch 
I do not know that. Listen, you're going to have to have an electrician open up the wiring and, and test it, trace it out, and try to figure out what's going on. It's it's either that a switch has gone bad, or more likely, um, it's just not hooked up correctly. Okay. Okay. Now, I had been told that there are switches that are specific to three-way, and that is probably the problem, but I'm be honest, I don't know. Yeah, well, that's that's entirely possible, but it's got to be opened up and, and take a look at what switch device is in there, and then also determine if it's wired correctly, because it sounds like most likely it was incorrectly wired. It might have been that somebody, you know, replaced one of those switches at one time and just hooked it up wrong. Okay. I mean, I've done that myself uh, just inadvertently. When I was painting, I recall, I took a switch apart to replace it from a toggle switch to a decora switch. That's the kind of flat panel kind. Okay. And I and I swore that I had gone wire for wire and got it right, but I didn't. I got it wrong, and it did exactly that. So I had to uh, reverse some wires to get it working back again. Yeah, that's that's pretty much it. I, I got some uh, research to do. Trevor wrote in saying, we live in a ranch-style home, and our great room has cathedral ceilings. Can we fit them with crown molding? I don't know. I feel like where would you put it? Probably not. <laughs> I mean, crown molding is gorgeous, but it's made to trim rooms that have ceilings that meet at a 90-degree angle, and cathedral ceilings sit well outside of that span. Another option that you could do, though, with a cathedral ceiling, although I will say it's probably a dated look, is to use those fake wooden beams. It kind of looks like a, an English Tudor house or a barn when right. you're done. It can look like a – they come in foam or PVC, by the way. They're not really made out of wood these days. And you can design that ceiling to look like exposed beams, which can be kind of cool looking. But really, a simpler option is just to kind of reserve the decorative molding for the spaces below, the windows and the doors, and leave that ceiling alone. Because if you do try to put any kind of ceiling, even a band board around that sort of ceiling perimeter where the ceiling meets the walls, it's going to make the room look smaller, don't you think? I think so. And I also feel like it's going to make like a weird lip or ledge you know, and I guess it really depends on how high that wall is, like how obvious that would be. Because sometimes cathedral ceilings like start at a lower point than eight feet, you know, on the side. So it really depends on what that room is like. You could have a super tall wall and maybe it'll look great, but I just worry that you'll have an odd ledge and it'll be strange. It just it's it just seems like a weird choice to me. Absolutely. The crown molding is fantastic for square corners, but for cathedral ceilings, not so much. Not so much, but enjoy that big, awesome room. Well, January is Bath Safety Month, and although there seems to be a month devoted to awareness for just about every situation, this one definitely deserves some attention. Falls at home injure millions of Americans every year, but Leslie's got some tips to help prevent those bathroom slips in today's edition of Leslie's Last Word. Leslie? Yeah, you know, the bathroom, I mean, it's kind of a spot that's really prone to accidents. I mean, think about it. You've got soap, shampoo, all of those things are very slippery. You add water, it becomes more slippery. And then, of course, it's on tile. So it's definitely like walking on banana peels in there. But there are some simple things that you can change inexpensively to your bathroom to help make it a lot safer. Now, you can use a non-slip mat or you can install adhesive safety strips or decals in your tub and shower. If you use a bath mat on the floor, you want to choose one that has a non-skid bottom. You can think about installing grab bars and shower stalls. Don't use towel racks or wall-mounted soap dishes as grab bars because they're not 
attached in the same way that a proper grab bar is, and they can very easily come loose, and then you could fall. Um, you also want to try to keep the floor clean and dry, promptly clean up any grease, you know, like lotions or any kind of skin oils you might be using or water or any other spills because they can be very slippery on the floor in there. If you use throw rugs in the bathroom or, frankly, anywhere else in your home, you want to place them over a rug liner or choose rugs with non-skid backs to reduce your chance of slipping. I mean, it can be a very common trip and fall hazard on those throw rugs. If you want some more ideas on how you can make your whole house safer, check out our post, Preventing Falls at Home, at MoneyPit.com. This is the Money Pit Home Improvement Show. Coming up next time on the program, the warm glow of a fire is definitely a welcome addition on a chilly winter night. But a wood-burning fireplace isn't the only way to get the heat and ambiance that fire can bring. You can have all those same benefits of a fire without a chimney when you install a direct vent gas fireplace. We're going to share how to do just that on the very next edition of the Money Pit. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. Remember, you can do it yourself. But you don't have to do it alone. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around, a watch she can wear every day from Movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom, and a Movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style, all for an incredible value your wrist and wallet will both love. And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast-free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.